Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. It is another episode of the Bonfire Sessions. No, scratch that. We've changed the name to the Zoom Fire Sessions because this is another stay at home podcast with, of course, me, Matt, and Mike on the computer. So, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what else to say about that. Uh, it's interesting to not sit across the table and not have a fire crackling and not being with your boy, but we're still uh, soldiering on to bring you the latest installment of this podcast. So we hope you enjoy. Uh, we hope you're being safe out there. And uh, yeah, let's get into it. Should be going live now in one second. Oh yeah, there we go. We're live. We are doing the live thing. Are you having a cocktail? Yeah. What are you having? Uh, gin and uh, yerba mate. It's okay. We ran out of tonic. So. <laughs> oh, that sucks. I I have gin and Lacroix with uh, lime juice. Yeah, I wish I was having something more like that. The lime's muddled. It's getting in my mouth. <laughs> yeah, a little gritty. Or... A little gritty, yeah. Or the mint, I mean. Did I say lime? I got lime and mint. It's pretty refreshing. It's hot as hell, man. Oh, boy. Yeah, quick turnaround to summer. I know. All right, we got people on here already. Uh, I don't know how to say welcome. Let me try that. I'm not sure who's here. Sperry Machuga is watching. That name sounds familiar. That name yeah. sounds, the last name sounds familiar, especially. <laughs> that would be the wifey. Isn't there a, uh, an author named Rick Machuga? Yeah, he is actually my dad. Oh, oh, see how I set you up for that. <laughs> I like, I, I used his book a lot. Um, Three Theological Mistakes on Cascade, Whippenstock. <laughs> It's good, man. Yeah, he's not really into, you know, the prom promoting like you are. Um, no. So it's not a bestseller, but you know, it's got good content for sure. Yeah, I don't. I think you have to. You have to be pretty good to get on Cascade because that's Whippenstock's scholar imprint, right? Uh, if you say so, that sounds right. I think so. I think so. Well, anyway, welcome everyone. Um, I don't know how many of you are watching, but if you want to say hi, uh, make sure you comment below. And um, we are going to, uh, well, we I talk about why we're universalists. And we talk about it in our first book, A Journey with Two Mystics, but I thought it'd be kind of fun to rehash some of that. But before we do that, make sure that everyone knows that we do have a booklet coming or came out and we have more coming out. So uh, make sure you get on that. Michelle saying hi, guys. Hi, Michelle. Hey, oh, Michelle. I, and I've got a um, Michelle and I are going to be writing a book <laughs> as well. And I don't think I'm going to tease out what it's about yet, but um, I'm pretty excited. So that'll be next on my radar as well. So in addition to that, we got the Bonfire Sessions booklets 
pick them up for 99 cents. Kyle's watching. Hey, Kyle Butler. Kyle Butler's a good man. Hey, Kyle. Um, so yeah, let's, uh, let's get into it a little bit. Oh, oh, oh I forgot. I got to remind people that if you want to, um, if you want to help me out and Mike out, uh, we're picking up trash everywhere. So we have a GoFundMe. So if you want to donate to that, it's really helpful. Um, <laughs> So I'll link to it later, but, um, or you can find it on my page, I think. So yeah, I picked up a bunch of trash today on the side of the highway. Like 99 or going up? No, skyway? going up, going up skyway. So I'm getting that all cleaned up. It's looking pretty nice. I'm going to take over that whole, take over that whole highway. Yeah. Good work. So, yeah. Yeah. To be fair, it's been mostly you doing it. I've gone out like twice. Yeah. Every bit helps, man. Every bit helps. Um, plus I'm not working really hardly at all. I think I worked three hours last week. So. That's, not <laughs> That's not a lot. That's not a lot. I'm but, still 40. So. Yeah. So there, there you have it. Um, but yeah, why are we universalists? I think, uh, it's, it's interesting that everyone seems to take a different approach on their universalism, right? So you get people who might be way, way more, what's that sound? way more liberal in their approach. And then you might get like really conservative, like more conservative people like Robin Perry, more evangelical, but they're still universalists. So what, what's your universalism like in a nutshell? Well, for the reason that, you know, you, you accept any theory over another theory. I mean, ultimately, you know, I think you'd say that universalism is a theory and uh, it's because, I mean, most of the, you know, the evidence seems to point that way, like philosophically, um, even historically, like you could say that universalism has been around the longest. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, like Augustine was the per first first person that knew that hell was populated. And before that, it was uh, nobody would really say that they knew for sure. Yeah, I think that, I mean, there were theologians who believed in hell. Uh, I think Tertullian uh, certainly believed in hell and he came before Augustine. But I think you're right. Like from the start, this is what's shocking about, about Christian history is that we don't, we don't teach Christian, Christian history in most of our churches. Like the development of thought, we, we teach like, oh, they were persecuted. Oh, this happened in 70 AD. Oh, Augustine. We basically think Augustine was the first theologian after Paul or something like, like in most of our churches. I know that's not the case for everything, but it's um, we, we basically assume that from the start, hell was a developed doctrine. It came like right after Acts and Paul talked about hell. And then from there, we've got hell. But no, that's true. And yeah. I, I, I don't know if Augustine was the first who knew that there were people in hell, but that sounds about right. I mean, the first person that you might find in, you know, literature or whatever, somebody that he's pretty damn sure. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, he said he was so sure. He said that, well, like 70 percent of everybody is probably going to end up in hell. Yeah. He calculated that shit, which I think is pretty grotesque, to be honest with you. <laughs> like, it's also pretty arrogant. I, I don't know. I think you got to you got you have to have a high level of confidence. To, to say something like that. And of course not include yourself because people never do. Right. Yeah. Um, that's how that works out. 
I remember the first time that I read about uh, universalism in the church, that it was like an accept, not only an accepted doctrine, but um, very popular doctrine. In fact, the most popular, it seems, in the earliest, you know, the earliest formations of doctrine and all that kind of stuff. I was shocked. And then I was chagrined when I talked about it. And it was like, I thought I was excited. I was like, oh, shit, look at this. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, people didn't like that. I had no idea. I, I, I quickly, I quickly had to recheck my approach. Yeah. It was, uh, it was a shock to me first. Like when I first read Rob Bell, like, wow, this is really an option. Like everything that, you know, I, I had heard growing up in the church, everybody has said that universalism was, uh, heretical, that there's no biblical evidence, which is that just flat out wrong. Um, you know, there's evidence for all, you know, three eschatological views, um, universalism, but Arminianism and, uh, well, annihilation and eternal torment. Yeah. Right. Sorry. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And within each of those, there could be more Arminian leaning and more Calvinist leaning. I think there are some like Calvinist annihilationists. They're like more Calvinistic when it comes to predestination, but I think pretty much like I don't know. I, if I had to guess like the percentages of current Christians that believe in hell is eternal torment, it's at least 75. And then I'm guessing maybe 20% would be annihilationists and maybe five, five to 10 would be universalists. You know, that sounds about right. That's just a guess off the cuff or off, is it off the cuff or off the cusp off the cuff? I think I would say cuff. Yeah. So that, that's just a guess, but I, I think Universalism like has had this like thread throughout church history though. There were a lot of theologians early on, and then there were less, maybe some more mystics, desert mystics throughout, you know, fourth, fifth century and on into the Middle Ages, and then continued on to the late Middle Ages and then you know, postmodern world. But now it seems like it's getting at least more accepted by some people. It's still not acceptable at all. But it's technically not heretical if you want to be technical. I mean, it's not. Well, like <laughs> with respect to, you know, some certain, you know, churches, like church buildings, it's definitely heretical in that it's not, it's outside of what they would be teaching. But yeah, out of, you know, um, churches taken as a whole. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it, it's it's definitely getting more like a scholarly acceptance, right? Wouldn't you say? Well, yeah, I think any real scholar or truth, not I don't want to say real scholar, but anyone worth their weight, right, would at least know the arguments and say, well, they're not going to like shut other scholars who are universalists from, you know, talking for the most part. I think the scholar of the world in that way is a little ahead of the game. I think it's kind of like whatever happens in the scholarly world, a hundred years later, us normal folk would kind of hear about it. So they're kind of, I mean, maybe that's less now with social media and all that kind of stuff, but yeah. I think that's typically how it goes. Maybe by 2050, it'll be more mainstream. Maybe, yeah. maybe, which is, it's just funny. Like, well, it's funny. First of all, that, Protestants talk about like orthodox theology and what's heretical, what's heterodox, what's orthodox. It's like, you're not even orthodox. Like you're pro- Paul wasn't a Protestant. <laughs> there was no such thing as a Protestant until like 
Luther and Zwingli and Calvin. Like this is, you know, a millennia and a half later after. Like so, let's 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 hold the horses a little bit when it comes to what is orthodoxy and what's heretical and what's not. Like, I mean, good God, you guys were her- Protestants were heretical, right? According to the Catholic Church, and then they, and then Pro- Protestants turn around and persecute the Anabaptists who are obviously heretical or some shit like you might want to slow your roll a little bit before you talk about who's who's heretical and if you think about it like the the nicene creed is supposed to be the uh the what like the mainstay of what christians believe the the guy gregory of nyssa was like what was he one of the editors the, the one of the main editors and he was a universalist and they didn't yeah. give a shit about it right I don't know. I just find it funny. I, but again, we don't teach it. We don't, we don't teach this stuff, man. I was fascinated by Christian history, just the history of theolo- theological thought, how it came about, how people wrestled with it. And really, if you go back like all the way, I'd say most of the early Christians were probably universalists. And Augustine says that, right? Does he? Yeah. He says like um, what we translate to like indeed very many. And I think in Latin, it's like, I mean, yeah, a lot of fucking people, he probably didn't say fucking, but a lot of people, in fact, maybe most of them believe in universalism. And he said they're like too sympathetic or emotional or something. And it's like, okay, fine, whatever. But I mean, you weren't here. I mean, if most of the Christians were, it doesn't mean they're right. It just means like, let's present the case without flinging around terms like heretical or not even Christian or whatever, you know? Or, I mean, if you're going to use orthodoxy or you can't really use orthodoxy as an argument not to believe in universalism it's just not really true i mean so there's that i think historically the evidence is there um philosophically we don't have to get into the specific arguments but you know the ones i've come across they've been um persuasive to me and then uh experientially like this is where it gets more you know buddhist you know, with the direct experience, the direct pointing, like when, when I have an interaction with somebody that I say is, it's a loving interaction, you know, that's something that I can, you know, kind of directly point to and, and give a, give his evidence. It, I mean, the reasoning gets more nebulous, but when you experience, you know, that kind of perfect universal love, and it's not always, it's not always going to be perfect, but when you see what's behind the imperfections, you would kind of say that, yeah, that kind of love, as long as maybe my intuition is wrong, but it doesn't seem like that love could possibly, you know, damn somebody to hell for forever and ever. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. I think behind everyone is, is something eternal. And and whether that's the spark of the divine, if you want to use that, the soul, I don't really care. It just seems like some there's a nugget of of something that is always eternal and that universal love. Like I, if we were really <laughs> honest, I think we couldn't we couldn't bear. I don't think we could bear heaven without everyone being there. If you want to use that language, mm-hmm. and I think we get that from experiences. Like, I mean, that's first and foremost how, what forms my views is our experience of things. And then, yeah, philosophical, biblical, historical, whatever. But yeah, unless I'm kind of being a shitty person and say, oh no, that, that person, I didn't, they're a piece of shit. Like, 
I could see how they could be annihilated. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't think, I don't know if you could say that being loving, being honest, you know. Right. There's, yeah, there's definitely some people that will be in the refiner's fire longer than others. <laughs> if yeah. that's how it works, I mean. If, if that's how it works, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure it is, but if that's how it works, yeah, I'm cool with that. I mean. That's one thing I, I, oh man, I've said it so many times, but that's one thing that really annoys me about people arguing against universalism is like, like we, we all pretty much believe in some sort of justice, right? It's just, what's the point, right? There's a, there's either a point or there's not a point. I would say universalists take justice much more seriously because it, it looks behind like the motive, you know, it looks to them like the motive and what's behind the motive of why people do bad shit. And it's saying, oh, we're going to figure out a way or God's going to figure out a way in order to reach that person and liberate them from whatever is causing them to be a shitty person. And they're going to see that for what it is and, you know, be like, yeah, of course, of course, I, re- I recognize what was wrong and I want to be reconciled. Yeah. I just hate the whole thing like, oh, there's no point. No, it's just got it. I don't know. Or, or some people you know, call it a fairy tale or maybe like you're taking the easy way out, but, but no, I mean, really it's, it's the annihilationists or, um, the, uh, you know, eternal conscious torment, you know, the people that are lucky to, you know, make it to heaven, you know, they kind of took the easy way out because they don't have to try to be reconciled with all of their enemies in life. Um, yeah. Which I, I think that's probably going to, I feel it in my gut that I'm going to have to, you know, make all of these hard conversations with people that I don't like very much, that I know I've wronged. Um, it's going to come up at some point, I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's definitely not the easy route to admit that because you have to, like, you have your experiences and then you have your beliefs. But then when we have our beliefs, we have to, like, if we're being honest, like, we have to tease them out. Well, what's this really going to be like? And we do have to say like, yeah, if I've wronged someone, I got to look them in the face. I got to sit across the table from them. If they've wronged me and I don't like them right now, like I got to talk to my dad eventually. Like I got to be reconciled to my dad because if we're going to be reconciled to God, we're all going to be reconciled to God. We have to be reconciled to each other. It's not an easy way out at all. Like, yeah. I, I, I've wronged some people. I guarantee it. And people have wronged me and I don't want to see them <laughs> right now. But you know, uh, my theology says that, well, this, this is going to, and it's healthy and it's, the, it's, it's just not comfortable. It's the right thing. And it, it's the just thing, but it doesn't mean it's comfortable. <laughs> Probably keeps you in check a little bit. If, if you keep that on the forefront of your mind, like probably won't go off the, off the rails as much as you might, you know, knowing that you're going to have to apologize for it or make up for it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that's true. I think why well, it makes, it makes no, it makes no sense to hold grudges because you know, you're, well, I can hold this grudge right now because it feels nice because I'm pissed off. But at the end of the day, like when you really think about it at night before you go to bed, you'll be like, well, I can't, I can't hold this grudge because I really believe that I'm going to be reconciled with this person. I, what's the point in holding a grudge, right? What's the point in, um, 
not not forgiving the person or not accepting their forgiveness or whatever the case might be. I think I think I think it's changing. I think it's changing. I think more people are like waking up to um, this kind of stuff. They're less judgmental about differing views and differing thoughts. And universalism certainly one. There's still a whole lot of people who aren't okay with it. But I think a, a lot more people are asking these questions. Like I think I, I get a lot of shit from the books I've written 20 years ago, 30 years ago, if I wrote them, I think you and I would be like really Ex- giving a lot of shit. Yeah. I mean, excommunicated or, I mean, I guess to some extent you could say that we kind of have been, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't feel like I can be completely open about everything that I believe. Um, yeah. So in spirit, I'm not completely. Uh, inside of the church. Yeah. Well, I just started. I, yeah, I gave up on caring about that a long time ago. <laughs> I say whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, good for you. I guess. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. My wife keeps me in check, though. That's good. Uh, let's see. Let's see if we got any comments. Kyle Butler says, as a pastor, I never taught true church history. I I bet only 5% do. I remember hearing Mark Driscoll on uh, Kevin Miller's Hellbound documentary saying how for 2,000 years, universalism was heresy. It's like, that's just out and out wrong. It's just wrong. Right. Not, I mean, not according to what we have read. Right. Like, have you read Have you read books? You just don't admit it? You think they're like conspiracy theory books or something? Like, it's not accepted? Like, anyone who studied church history knows universalism, knows about it. They might not agree. They might say they were wrong from the start and then got it right with Augustine or something. But you can't just deny that they didn't believe it. I mean, this is BS. Uh, Ian asks, what's the best resource for church history? Um, uh, primary sources. Uh, I think if you want to read Origin, it's out there. A lot of that stuff's online for free. If you want to read Clement, if you want to read Gregory of Nyssa, um, you can read what these people actually believed. Um, Alaria Ramelli's, um, Apple catastasis is like $300. So if you want to get that on Amazon, is that the one that that's like a thousand pages long? I think it's something like that. And it's a lot of money. Um, but yes, uh, hers is great. Um, Bill Carr says he's reading, uh, the story of Christianity by David Bentley Hart, liking it a lot so far. So that's probably a good resource. David Bentley Hart's awesome. So that's the new one that he just put out. No, he wrote that all should be shall be saved, and that's a book. Oh, on, that's yes, yeah, a defense of universalism. I haven't actually read it yet. Have you? No, I got him, but um, I think his his that's his latest. Um, so I'd imagine pick up that resource if you want. Um, David Bentley Hart is a scholar, a scholar's scholar, so uh, can't go wrong there. Um, is it what is this? R. L. I think says the Bible is a collection of writings. It's not supposed to be harmonized and definitely not systematized. Yeah. Uh, well, I think, which is why I wouldn't even say my first authority is the Bible when it comes to universalism. <laughs> I like that there were universalists in the Bible. I think Paul, I think was one of them, but yeah, I never try to harmonize the scriptures at all. Not that it's my primary authority, and it, I, we know it's not yours, Mike. 
No, we we got into that last time. Yeah, we established that. I mean, for me, it's like the Bible has all the arguments. You can get eternal torment out of the Bible. You can get annihilationism out of the Bible. Um, and you can get universalism out of the Bible. And they all kind of have merit. They all take exegesis in order to, you know, figure out what's being said. But at the end of the day, like, Peter doesn't agree with Paul, doesn't agree with James. I, I think the disciples didn't understand Jesus so much. The prophets don't agree with each other. There's different creation stories. There's, you know, you know what I mean? Like these people didn't agree with each other all the time. Yep. That's another thing we don't teach either in our, in our, in our churches. <laughs> I mean, when's the last time you heard any pastor be like, um, you know, different prophets disagreed with each other. I think there's a story. Um, I forget where, but Am- uh, Amos, no, Hosea tells the story a, a lot different than it's depicted in shit. Second Kings. And it's like way different, way different interpretation of the same event. And one prophet's like, yeah, this is how it went down. And the other prophet's like, no, nah, I don't think so. Later, you know, it's like this shit's going on the whole time. It's not, you can't harmonize even the Old Testament. You can't harmonize the New Testament. I don't think. But at the same time, I think the Bible argues for universalism. And I think it's the strongest argument. Not that you care. Ultimately, no. No. <laughs> but I, um, but a lot of people do, which I think is still important to have those conversations. Right. I mean, if somebody really wanted to go the biblical route, I would, I would be willing to, you know, read it and, you know, relearn how it all fits together. But yeah, I don't, for my own personal edification, I don't, I'm kind of past that. Um, Yeah. I haven't studied in a long time. I was pretty heavy into like the biblical arguments for universalism against universalism uh, because that's where I was at the time. Like I wanted to know what the true Christian message was because that's the true message. Now I'm more like, there's definitely truth in whatever Christianity you have. And there's definitely probably falsities, just like the same with Buddhism, just the same as Islam, whatever the case may be. So I would never want to put too much weight into the biblical argument, but I'm willing to go there still if, if people, if that's where people have to go. I, I'm more to the point where I'd like point them to, to books I've written or books I've read because I just don't have an interest in having an argument about why Romans 11 is a very universalistic passage. And why that's probably the best interpretation of Romans or Romans five or first Corinthians 15. Like, honestly, it's boring to talk about now. Well, it was in, it was important to me at one point. Totally. Like knowing that there was biblical evidence, uh, helped me to ultimately let go of the Bible. Um, I mean, it's like that, that, that metaphor that, they they use in buddhism you use your you use your religion the bible whatever to get across the stream the metaphorical stream into enlightenment nirvana whatever uh the kingdom of heaven but once you actually get to the land that the bible is pointing to you don't continue to you know carry the boat with you um yeah you just i don't know you just live your life you live in the kingdom of heaven you don't keep on researching the place that you're already at that doesn't really make sense 
I think some people are into that though, but maybe it's just because that's what they're into. Oh, I, there's yeah. If you're interested in the Bible and knowing everything that's in it, yeah, of course. There's nothing wrong with knowing everything about anything. I don't <laughs> totally, totally. Uh, Justin asks, on a scale of one to ten, how certain are you guys that universalism is true? Um, that for me is kind. Of, it's kind of a loaded question. Like I don't, I don't know if certainty is the right way to put it. Um, because my universalism, the mechanism is kind of agnostic. I just, I just know on a different level that everything is going to be okay. And I don't see that short of everyone being reconciled because then everything's not okay. So how that happens, I can't say I'm certain, like, is Jesus the savior of the world? Maybe. Or is the way of Jesus the savior? You know, like, is there a certain way? I mean, what, how's this, how this all works out? Is it evangelical universalism or is it more pluralistic? Fuck if I know. I know, every, I know, I know, I know, I know that everything's going to be okay. I don't know how, though. Yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't like using the word certainty. Like, it's just not, it's not really in my lexicon anymore. Um, yeah, but but if I had to, <laughs> if I had to use it, yeah, ninety nine percent or sorry, yeah, nine point five, ninety nine percent, whatever. Yeah, enough to know that that um, even if you're wrong, I think it's worth it because it's given me peace and liberty. Where twenty five years of traditional, traditional quote unquote Christianity didn't. So it's almost like a Pascal's wager sort of thing, <laughs> but the reverse. Like it's worth it to believe in because it, I, I feel great right now. Whereas I felt terrible before believing in hell. Yeah. I feel like there's, uh, there's no more cognitive dissonance anymore. Yeah. Like yeah. I don't ever, even if I kind of believed in hell, you know, way back when I didn't like it. I felt bad whenever I talked to, non-christians about it you know i knew it was a huge turnoff mm -hmm. and now i can just say yeah i don't believe in that either <laughs> totally. so as far yeah. as christianity goes like I, yeah i don't i don't really think in christian terms or really buddhist terms anymore but it's, it's almost like the biblical arguments i'd say i'm pretty i'm pretty convinced Paul is a universalist. I think that's the strongest, like the books I've read on Paul, that's the strongest argument. Um, I, I really do believe, I mean, I don't believe in like the modern notion of free will. So I don't think like we can freely choose um, hell. I think Jesus came to save everyone. I think Jesus accomplishes what he wants to do. If that's how, if that's the route you want to go, I'm cool with that. When I say I'm agnostic, it doesn't mean I don't believe something. It just means like, at the end of the day, I, I really don't know, no, but something in my gut tells me that that's the strongest argument. Like, no, I'm not a Greek scholar. I think I know enough to know what's going on in the New Testament. So I think a lot of, I think there were a lot of universalists and, and I think that there were a lot of universalists in the first couple centuries. Philosophically, it makes more sense. Uh, experientially, like you said, it makes more sense. Um, Justin asks, what makes you so certain? Again, I don't know if certainty is the right word. There's like an experiential truth. There's like an experience. I've had experiences where I feel so connected to the universe, 
to other people, to God, if that's the language you want to use, to love. I feel like that connection is going to be okay at the end. It's going to be great. Whatever this is all about, it's a positive experience. If if people are lost, that's a tra- it's a tragedy. You know, like it's an absolute tragedy through and through 100%, whether annihilationism or eternal torment. It's a it's a fucking tragedy. It's a nightmare. Because yeah. someone loved that person who's lost. Someone loved them deeply. And so no matter how you make it okay, whether they're like Luther or, or, or Tertullian looking down on them with glee, or whether they're given a lobotomy, they can't remember them anymore. Whatever the case may be, like it's fucking horrifying. They're not the same person anymore. I just can't believe that. I can't. Right. So, yeah, like I said, you know, at the begin- beginning of this, um, like kind of certainty aside, I mean, it's it's the it's the strongest uh, argument out there. It makes sense of, you know, most of the evidence that we're uh, presented with. So just from a logical, sane standpoint, you know, yeah, you always choose <laughs> the stronger argument over the weaker one. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to put a percentage on that uh, certainty, but right or a scale, but that's why I believe it. Right. Uh, so Justin, he's going on. Thanks for commenting, Justin. Um, these are good questions, by the way. So thank you. Uh, he says, what would, what would you say that people who have experienced quote unquote, that there's a hell, um, are you, I mean, if you're talking like near-death experiences, I mean, well, for, first of all, I believe in hell. I believe, I totally believe in hell. It's a valley outside of Jerusalem. Um, Jesus called it Gehenna in Greek, or he used the Aramaic version. In Hebrew, it's the Valley of Hanam. There's an absolute hell. I think it could be also allegorical that there is some sort of refining fire, like Mike talked about earlier. Like, and I would say if someone believe, like when I believe, and I've told the story before, like when I believed in demons and Satan and all this stuff, like I saw that kind of stuff. I quote unquote saw it. Like I experienced, like I had nightmares. I had what you'd call visions, whatever. I was yelling snakes and running through my house as a little kid. Like I believe that shit. So it manifests. So what we believe in is going to impact our world to such a degree that we could be like, yeah, that's real. But then I, it's like funny. Huh. Once I stopped believing him, I've never had that shit happen ever again. Not even close. <laughs> so, I mean, that's my anecdote. That's my experience. I've heard a lot of people say the same sort of same sort of thing. So I, I don't know. People have experiences based on what they believe in. It does impact our experiences, I think. Yeah, in some way, anything that you experience is real to some degree. I mean, it it has an existence in some kind of way. You're experiencing it. Um but yeah, is it because you're delusional? Um, yeah, I think in some sort of way, people do see, uh, you know, phantoms. Um, but is it out there in the physical world, you know, outside of your belief? I don't think so. Right. Um, well, it's kind of like placebo, right? I mean, really, physiologically, you shouldn't be able to take a, a sugar and water pill and have your headache go away. <laughs> But doesn't it act on you like the way acetaminophen does or ibuprofen? But your belief in it can really make it happen. Like for a certain percent of the time, certain percent of people, like that shit happens. I I don't know what it is, like 20% for some stuff. I mean, placebo is a thing. Like it really, that's a high percent. So, I mean, that'd be my my answer to that question. 
Jake says heaven would become hell either way without a memory wipe. I don't, I don't know about that. Say, uh, say that again. Uh, uh, Jake, Jake Stringer says heaven would become hell either way without a memory wipe. I don't, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I mean, uh, I, mean I, think I, th- we, I think we can have true healing and reconciliation even if uh, we didn't have a memory wipe. In fact, only if we didn't have a memory wipe. Like, scars heal, and there can be beauty in scars. Yeah. He's calling me. Sorry. Sorry, Chance the Rapper. Um, Kyle says, and how does one escape omnipresence? How does one escape an omnipresent love? That's a good question. I don't know. Jeff Turner had a I don't know if it was in one of his books or on a Facebook post or something. It was something like the the common notion of eternal hell. Like in order for it to be like metaphysically removed from the presence of God, that would mean there would be another God or hell itself is a God because what sustains its existence or God really has to be present in hell. And then that gets to be quite a conundrum, I think, too. <laughs> <laughs> like fucking do something, man. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the Eastern Orthodox at least kind of puts that notion to bed. Like, I think they believe like hell is in the presence of God. You just respond to it uh, really horribly. But like the evangelical notion of hell, like eternal separation from God. It's like, how does that even work? So that's a good question. It's a good rhetorical question. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it gets you to think, right? It should. Um, let's see. Uh, let's have a clarification from Jake. Meaning if you knew your friends and family were in hell, this is what many people say in response. Oh yeah. Yeah. They they have to use the memory wipe because otherwise, yeah, you'd be tormented forever. Hell, heaven would become hell if your friends were there or your family, you know? Um, and then that Bible and revelation say revelation 21, I think. Like he will wipe away all tears from their faces. It's like, well, how's that going to happen? Because I don't care how long I'm in heaven. If my loved ones are in hell, like you can wipe them away, but it's going to be in vain. Right. Unless you, you know, give me the complete (laughs) cat just jumped over you. Uh, Give me the complete memory wipe, you know, like that. I don't know. Or you just become hardened and heartless. Yeah. Then it's like heaven is just uh a trick and I wouldn't, I'm not really comfortable with that. Um, no, nor am I. I can't believe it. It might be true. All that shit might be true. Eternal torment might be true. I, I can't believe it though. And I certainly am. I am I, a stubborn, I will not worship God. I'll give him the big middle finger. If, you know, he can't figure this <laughs> shit out. <laughs> uh, Jedediah says, I think you make made a pretty good argument that a lot of the church fathers believed in this. And then especially after Augustine, there was a change. Um, in heretic, you seem to say it might be because Augustine's refusal to learn Greek. And so he confused the word for age and eternal. Care to speculate why there wasn't more pushback against Augustine and why there seemed to be this progression from patristic universalism to eternal conscious torment. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I think that's a part of it um, is that he he, did, he he tried to learn Greek. He didn't like it. Um, it's hard to go from uh, Ionios to Eternum. Can't really do it that well. Uh, so Ionios meaning age enduring, or it could mean eternal in some context, but Eternum always means eternal without and everlasting, whatever. Um, there's 
you can't really go from the Greek to Latin that easily there. Um, care to speculate why there wasn't more pushback against Augustine? You know, I, I, I think there is, and there was, I don't know if there's a lot. Um, and how do we progress from patristic universalism to eternal torment? Honestly, I think human beings are such shitheads. <laughs> I think well, we go from like, we go from good news to really shitty news real quick. I think that's just our human nature. Like we think dualistically. And so you could have gospel, you could have good news, you could have grace, no quid pro quo, none of that. Like, and we just turn it into some, we, we, that's just the way we do. That's what we do. I mean, I don't know. We think binarily, right? Most of the time. Either or, right? Right. So I, I just, I'm surprised that universalism was so accepted for hundreds of years. I think there is this business of like, when, when you have Rome involved, with the church, you start to get violence infused into Christianity. I think that's a big problem. I think then you get a violent God, you get a violent version of Christianity, which is so far from um, the truth. And that was the one thing, nonviolent, Christian nonviolence was the one thing they could agree on from the get-go. And, you know, I think when you get violence, you can justify hell. When you get violence, you can justify annihilation. You know, killing, ending, snuffing them out. I don't know. Those are just, you know, off the top of my head. Justin says, is there anything that would lower your confidence in universalism? I'd have to, like, get a whole lot of new, different information, evidence. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm more of a... I'm not a scholar, you know. I haven't read everything out there. But, you know, I'm in contact with you know, people that I trust and um, given their authority on the subjects. And, you know, again, just my own experience. Yeah, it would take yeah a whole lot of new, different information for me to yeah. change my mind. Totally. I'd say uh, kind of in jest, someone would have to convince me that their argument's better than David Bentley Hart's. I... <laughs> <laughs> so as far as like exegetically or philosophically, I mean, I don't have to say shit. I just point you in his direction and you're not going to out argue him and he's smarter than all of us. So fuck it. Um, but no, um, some kidding aside, first of all, I don't think I could, be- I don't think there's any sort of, um, argument that could convince me against universalism. You're not going to like, give me a biblical argument that's going to do it because I really don't care. Um, <laughs> and, and I would have to, I would literally like have to come face to face with God. And have it be like, you fucked up. I mean, this is not how it's going down. And then I'd be like, okay, doesn't mean I'm going to worship you, but okay, then yeah, I'm not confident any longer. Um, So short of that, (laughs) short of God, like showing up in the picture right now and be like, "Uh, you're wrong. I, I I don't know. So it it would take an act of God for you to. Right. Change your belief. Right. I'd say the same. Yeah. I mean, that might sound fantastically arrogant. I don't know. Well, I mean, you believe what is what you believe is credible. You can't totally. you can't believe something that you think is incredible. That's right. how belief works. So, yeah. Uh, and what I think people forget is that, I mean, I'm 37 now. You're a little older. Most of our collective years on this planet was not as a universalist. 
it was like for 25 years, at least for me, believing in hell. So it's like, I say that because I've been, I've been in both camps. So it's like, I, I can't, you can't go back. You can't unsee something. So these questions about like, how certain are you? It's like, oh, I feel like I've seen it in a different way, in a different light. And you can't unsee that. I can't go back to what I no longer, like I've been there and done that. Like, it's like saying, can you live in the house that you blew up 10 years ago? Well, no, not the same house any longer. And why would I even start building that shit again? You know, that was a shitty house. Like, I feel like I'm in a better house now. Like, why would I move? Yeah. Short of an act of God and some sort of whatever. I, 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 I would challenge people. Like, don't even ask, don't even like entertain those ideas. Like if you spent 25 years as an evangelical, believing in hell, inerrant Bible, penal substitution, whatever. Well, maybe re- you can go back to that at age 50, give universalism the same amount of time. Right. But people haven't that we we haven't lived in the, that this world for that long. So, and but it's like for me, it's been long enough to go. Like I'm not going back to that. Yeah, you probably you've probably seen most everything in those 25 years. I mean, you were you were immersed in the culture and the literature, and I mean, you obviously you cared about it. I mean, it, it's not it was something that you were passionate about. Um, mm-hmm. Or, you know, passionately against. <laughs> so Justin says uh, you were blind, but now you see. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Why would, why would a person who can see go back to being blind? <laughs> yeah, that's good. RL says it's like going back to believing in a tooth fairy. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess. That's probably a good way of putting it. Okay, yeah, it's one of those incredible. I can't believe Santa Claus is really, I mean, I better not say that too loud. My, my daughter still kind of believes. <laughs> um, that's the only one though, not the tooth fairy, the Easter bunny. I find it incredible. I, 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 yeah, that's, like you said, that's how belief, this is how belief works. You cannot force yourself to believe something. You can lie to yourself maybe for a little bit, but you can't really believe it. Mm-hmm. So oh, we got one more, let's do one more. We'll do one more comment and then, um, then we'll bounce. What time is it? 545. All right. Oops. All right, Jedediah says, interesting to hear you guys say that I have often thought what it would take to make me be a fundamentalist again. It would take something along the lines of St. Paul's Damascus Road experience. <laughs> in, re- yeah, in reverse. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, backing up. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I honestly think that's the only thing. Because I because you, you come to it honestly, right? I didn't come to Christianity honestly. It was given to me. This yeah. is what it was. We both came to universalism honestly. We, I didn't like. I didn't hear about it and be like, "Oh, I want to believe that right away," and then find all the reasons why I should believe it. It was like you wrestled with it for years. At least I did, and I know you did too. Well, I was I was ready to believe it. Like I didn't give a whole lot of. I mean, honestly, I didn't give a whole lot of pushback when I was presented with these arguments. You know, I, I was grabbing onto it like tooth and nail, like. I'm not, I'm not saying that I didn't wrestle with the arguments, but, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately I was kind of a pushover because I really didn't want to go to hell. And <laughs> so, yeah, any, uh, anything, any possibility where that wasn't true, I was going to try to find uh, a way to make it true. Like, um, so, you know, you can make of that what you want, but, that that's in the past. I don't, 
I, I believe that, you know, a hundred percent now, like I, you know, a hundred percent believe that, you know, the universalist arguments are better than, yeah, the eternal conscious torment or yeah. Annihilationism. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't so much like push back on it, but I did have to, I did have to answer the questions. I had to answer the philosophical ones and the biblical ones and, I had to know, like, okay, if I come across these passages, I, I want to know what they what they mean, what they might not mean, you know, all this kind of stuff. You know, I want to make sure I check off some boxes. Um, oh, it's freaking the fuck out. Um, oh, jeez, it's probably the mailman. He flips the fuck out. I don't know what his deal is. I don't know what it is with dogs and mail mail carriers. It's gonna be gender neutral. Um, they just fuck, they just fucking go crazy. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's a good question to think about. Like, what, what would it take to go back? Not a damn thing, man. I don't know. <laughs> Cause then I'd have to write, I'd have to, I'd have to rewrite some books and I don't want to do that. <laughs> but a different conclusion. But anyway, I'm ready to eat, man. I'm hungry. I think we're having fish tacos tonight. Do you know what you're having? Um, I already ate. Oh, you already ate. Oh, what'd you have? Anything good? Uh, no, I had well, I had crackers. They were okay. I had a lot of them, so I'm not hungry anymore. <laughs> oh, there you go. All right. Well, uh, thanks, man. Have a good night. Yeah. Just everyone Let's listening. See. Thanks for listening. Make sure you pick up the Bonfire Sessions Spring. It's only ninety nine cents, and it'll remain ninety nine cents. So do that. We'll see you next time. Bye bye. <laughs>